I ran in the sevens first at San Gabriel, and then Don Perdone did it at Long Beach. Only I was first. Nah, 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 nah. And welcome. It's time for a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars podcast, where it's all about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities and more. I'm Randy Cardoon, and coming up, we'll take you to the Nitro reunion at Irwindale Speedway in Irwindale, California, as they take a moment to recognize some of the classic drivers from the old San Gabriel Speedway. Steve Gibbs will be doing the honor with that, and the current owner of one of the Plymouth Hemi Underglass Barracudas. You remember those. That's Mike Mantell and driver Wild Bill Shrewsbury. But first... It's time for Talking About Cars News! Word from our friends at Haggerty say that what was thought to be an abandoned 1969 Plymouth GTX convertible that had been in a garage for like 17 years, it was about to be put up for public auction. And now it's been claimed by the last person to own it. The car was in northern Michigan. The only clue to who owned it was a name and address on some carpeting that had been shipped and was in the trunk of the car. Craig McIntosh said he was stunned to realize the car still existed considering it went into the garage 17 years ago. He says he tried to claim the car for his friend who actually owned it. Uh, the friend was having troubles and of course the authorities refused because he didn't have the paperwork which makes complete sense now his friend has contacted him and he's talked to officials and authorities and he has reclaimed that vehicle and now this bit of breaking news so breaking we actually included this story after we released the podcast so we're this part is actually added afterward drew alcazar We've had him on the show before. He owns Russo and Steel Auctions with his wife. Sent out a release saying they will be changing venues for their annual Scottsdale auction in 2020. And they are suing their former director of operations, alleging, quote, egregious breaches of his duties, including efforts to sabotage and destroy our relation with Salt River Fields and its tribal ownership. And a second lawsuit against Ritchie Brothers Leak Auctions, alleging tortious interference and related acts committed by this publicly held multi-billion dollar conglomerate, unquote. Alcazar writing, as for the challenges ahead, all we can say is, bring it on. Who says things are cutthroat in the car auction business? Now, the Hemi under glass, the legendary race car with the engine under that huge rear glass in the first-generation Plymouth Barracudas, well, now it's owned by Mike Mantell, who I caught up with at a recent Nitro Revival at Irwindale Speedway in Southern California. Also there, driver Wild Bill Shrewsbury. Mike talked about there being more than just the one Hemi under glass. There's four cars um only one went with the trademark rights to operate it on the track. The other three are in private collections, including the, the car that crashed with Jay Leno, which I initially had a contract to take that car. What a lot of people don't know is that was a brand spanking new build. And the furthest it ever wheelied was what you saw on the TV show. Yes. I can imagine the look on your face when that all thought. Were you there when no, it happened? No, I wasn't, but the driver told me he, he really wanted to come over to my house and talk to me. And uh, he came over and he said he had good news and bad news. And he said he did, the, he did the Leno shoot, which I knew 
kind of had an idea that was going to happen. And then um, the bad news was that he rolled my car that I had a deposit on. So this other car that I'm running is, is the longest performing Hemi under glass ever constructed. It's performed at the Goodwood Festival in England. It's match race and beat the little red wagon at Englishtown, New Jersey. There's a very famous photo up online with a Coca-Cola sign in the background. Uh, it's performed at the U.S. Nationals. Uh, it's even made an appearance at the Playboy Mansion when Hefner was alive. So that's the car that I have here today. Did Hefner get in it? I haven't seen any pictures, and I, I wasn't there. But I've seen pictures of it on display there, but I haven't seen him in the car. I don't, you know. Is that Mopar's at the mansion? Yeah, Mopar's at the mansion. And they had the car featured, like, for the ads for it. It was the featured car there. I was there for that. I remember that. Now, Bill... Bill, Wild Bill Shrewsbury here. Refresh my memory, and I, I'll play naive. Uh, who was behind the wheel of that uh, Leno car? Oh, another driver, wasn't uh, He was number two driver. I was number one, and Mike's number three. Okay. Mike's running the show right now. Okay, so what was your reaction when you saw what happened to the, in the Leno episode? Completely driver error. <laughs> okay. I can understand that. Go ahead. I ran last Saturday there. I made four runs at a, a late model NASCAR race to promote this event. And I don't know, after being down there and, and looking at it, um, I've had a lot of people come to my booth at events and ask me if it was staged. And I mean, that's one heck of a promo. I mean, Leno, he's lucky that because he, he had his hand up and he was lucky he tucked it in and all that other stuff. But I'll tell you. He tucked it in, but... Um, car was a brand new build it wasn't like they were wrecking a you know a car with a significant history and I don't know I like I said I made four runs over there and I go back and look at the footage they did heavy editing on that footage they made it look longer you can judge the sign behind the car when it's running and then they cut to the wheelie bar and when they cut back, the cars moved back to make it look like it went longer. And a lot, what a lot of people don't know is the car only rolled once. They edited it to look like it rolled multiple times. It only rolled once. Once and landed upright. That's enough. No, that's enough. One's enough. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely true. Okay, so. But, but the point is, is that they edited it to make it look like it rolled like three or four times. Yeah. That's the wonder of Hollywood. Don't you know that? Yeah, but could you imagine NASCAR doing that? <laughs> They'd probably get bigger ratings. What are you talking about, NASCAR doing that kind of thing? Okay, so where is that car now? The Illinois, I think, that's one's in a private collection. And see, what they did was the guy that owned the cars uh, previous, he had, there was four of them. And he took them to auction, and it didn't bring in the kind of money that he felt he needed. So then he started one-offing them, and one car went with the trademark rights to, to perform and do all that. So um, that car was rebuilt, though, right? Yeah. Against my advice, I told him, you know, leave it. I said that people really like seeing things the way that they had seen it on television, and they went ahead and rebodied it. I the the previous driver Bob was his name. He um, when I told him that he said, "Oh, Mike, nobody wants to see anything dented and scratched up." And I said, "Oh, yeah, they will." So he rebodied it, and you know that that if it was me, I would have left it. Yeah, didn't didn't get the money supposedly for it. What did you grow up getting into as far as cars were concerned? What was your first car? 
My very first car was a 63 Impala that was a hand-me-down from my sister. And then when the transmission went out on that, my mother gave me her 63 Ford Galaxy. But my first race car was a Porsche 914. I was, uh, I guess, about 18 when I got it. And I, I uh, quickly modified it. I put a small block v8 engine in it and a body kit to put more rubber to make it handle and i used to race out at terminal island they had a place called the brotherhood and before orange county closed i used to go out there and run but the wonderful thing about the car being a mid-engine setup i also ran the lapd training course that they used to have very near where where the brotherhood drag strip right there in, in um, you know down by the harbor down there and so, Bill, what was your first car? How did you get into this whole I love cars thing? Oh, I'm from Ohio originally. And in 1962, um, I was asked to go to California to run the car for Mickey Thompson. And uh, Pontiacs, it was. And from DeLorean, because I was lucky enough back there to to beat a couple of their cars. So they 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 hired me to come to California, and, and it was good. And, and they had a car in 63 at the winter nationals i won the afx and then pontiac quit racing after that then i went to a mercury comet in 64 it was afx and then after then i was lucky enough to win the winter nationals again with that and then after that uh george hurst who's in hawaii and he said he's building this car and he wanted me to drive it and all that and and from hot rod magazine ray brock says do what he wants you know wait and see and went over there and there it was the Hemi under glass, and it hadn't run anything, and and uh, it was a car to sh to show off her stuff. It wasn't to do wheelies, and then we took it to the first race, and I put big tires on it. They only wanted to run it on seven-inch tires, but I put ten-inch tires, and it scraped the rear bumper and went wild, and everybody went crazy. And after that, we started doing wheelies. Yeah, the whole concept of the Hemi under glass, though. Uh, was basically to do kind of a weight transfer thing, wasn't it? Rolling, a rolling research laboratory is what they had on it. It had a real neat shifter in it. It was a four-speed, and it had a lever, and it, you move the lever, and it moved the gear shift from different gears, and uh, wasn't automatic. You know, hers didn't believe in automatics then. No, no. And was the original idea to put the engine where they did, or how did that work? Yeah, I think it was uh, Ray Brock from Hot Rod Magazine, editor at that time, that told George Hurst he was looking for a new project he told George Hurst uh, you know once you get the new Barracuda and the new 426 Hemi because both of them had I believe just came out in 64 right and uh, so he he um, suggested that they mid mount it to get better weight transfer and uh, so it was really uh, Hot Rod Magazine's Ray Brock that came up with the idea for the car but George Hurst executed the, the project. And just so I understand, they made the first one you were saying in 65, correct? So they made... In 64, right, Bill? Kind of, they started probably before the... End of, end of 64 and beginning of 65, yes. And so they would make one every other year, or all the newer ones we're seeing are, are recent makes? Or? Yes, they, they've upgraded them. That was the thing about the Hemi Interglass. The Little Red Wagon, the body style, never really changed. So that was the same truck over the years. And by the way, I own the original Little Red Wagon. It was crashed in total in Quebec, Canada in 75. No! Yes, and we, we're building another, we've built another one to perform. I don't have it here today with me, but um, 
With the Hemiander glass, the Barracuda changed from a Gen 1 to a Gen 2 in 67. So the 65 car, the one that Bill started with, they rebodied it. Rumor is that the, the driver that took over after Bill, right, he rolled it? Is that what you said? Yes. Yes, he rolled the car, showing him he could drive it. Yeah, good job there. That's the Leno driver. So they bodied that one to a 66, but then in 67, when they came out with the second gen, you know, the whole roof line changed. They cannibalized the original car, took all the stuff out of it. It doesn't exist. Yeah, it was disposed of. No, so then they, they went all the way up to 68, and then Hearst pulled out of the, uh, well, Sunbeam, the toaster people bought Hearst, and they didn't want any more in-house race cars. And that driver continued into the 70s, but he went with a funny car, tubular frame setup, and that was never as popular as the steel car that, you know, people can relate to that car because it's just like one they'd buy off the showroom. So, but what I'm doing, if, um, we announced uh, several weeks ago, is we're building a 2020 Challenger with a new Helifin engine, a new Hemi under glass. Really? Yes. So where is the engine going to be there? Mid-engine. It'll be very similar to the to the setup that we're doing right now. Will it require having a bigger rear window or something like that? Or you know, there's an artist concept floating around. I had a guy do a drawing, and then some gentleman on his own that does 3D type generations computer stuff. He did one with a back window that almost looks, you know, like the Pontiacs that have the hatchback. It looked wonderful. So we're thinking we're going to go with that. Well, isn't there a lot of talk going on right now about the Cuda? I mean, isn't it, aren't they yes, talking about? I, you know, actually, I'm, I'm kind of held on the. I'm going to hold on the project for about another three or four months to see if that may develop. But um, you know, the Cuda and, and the 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 Challenger, there wasn't a lot of difference between the two. So, a lot, probably more cosmetic than anything. Powertrains are all, you know, seven two seven tranny and four twenty six hemi. So, um, but you know. If they don't come up with the CUDA, we're fine with the Challenger. There's said to be, uh, since 08, since they produced the car, there's 550,000 of them now out there that have been produced. So that's a pretty good uh, audience, for, you know, to, to, to build something like another Hemi, a modern Hemi under glass. Quick thought, and I know you have to go. You have the original Little Red Wagon. Yes. Somebody, did you remember the guy that built the backwards Little Red Wagon? A backup pickup. Yes, the backup pickup that wheelied backwards and the whole thing. That was totaled also. And um, they rebuilt, they built another one in 13. I think it's down in the showroom at Galpin Ford over here in the valley. They, they commissioned to do it, so I think it's on their showroom down there. Uh -huh. But they've never run it. They said they were, but it's never showed up anywhere. So, Can you imagine driving the backward pickup there, Bill? That would be great. <laughs> I, it wouldn't be weird at all. I think it'd be kind of difficult to do under today's rules because I remember all the pictures. A guy would have one arm hanging out the window on his head out the side to look where he's going because with the backup pickup, you had the motor in your way from seeing, you know, and like well, what we. The back of the pickup. Yeah. So uh, they'd have to figure out another way to see where you're going, I think, if they did it today because I don't think NHRA would allow you to hang your, your head out the window. But you remember, you, have you ever seen the pictures of Bill standing up out of the windshield of the L.A. Dart? No. No. You used to do that? Well, the car, car was stupid. It didn't know what to do. So The legend, Wild Bill Shrewsbury, and the owner of the 68 Hemi Under Glass, Mike Mantell.
Now, later at the Nitro event in Irwindale, we were able to give you a taste of some memories of the old San Gabriel Raceway with Steve Gibbs, who produced the Nitro reunion, and had just honored Tom Flanagan. Up next, a former actor and race car driver you may be familiar with, TV Tommy Ivo. I can remember going down to San Gabriel and I ran 150 miles an hour with the little red Buick dragster that's over there in the pits and we got a color TV for it. And boy, I was in doggy heaven. And he talks about running in the sevens. I ran in the sevens first at San Gabriel and then Don Perdone did it at Long Beach. Only I was first. Nah, 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 nah. And so I got them together to race the two seven-second cars, and that was spectacular. We packed the place. Next time, we ran up against a jet car, and everybody says, oh, you're going to get burned up doing that. So we mounted skewers on the roll bar and put marshmallows and meters and wieners on it. So this is so special to me because it, it just, like I say, it's run the full clock. It was great. Tom, thank you for being here. Tom loves these events. Uh, he's earned every honor there is in motorsports, the Halls of Fame. But just seeing him come through the gate one more time is always great. So, Tom, thank you so much for being here. Somebody grab it. If I can get the Ivo plaque. We need to get, get, get the Ivo plaque. Get the Ivo plaque. We need to find the Ivo plaque there. Uh, anyway, but Tom, okay, thank you, Tom, so much. Thank you. There he goes. Ah, there we are. There it is. Okay. Thank you. All right, for TB Tommy Ivo, one more time, folks. Another little side note on the original San Gabriel track. The track was operated by uh, three guys, uh, Jack and Will Tice, and a fellow named Jack Minnick. They're all gone, but Will Tice's son from the original Tice family is here today. So we just appreciate the Tice family that uh, had so much to do with the original San Gabriel. The next guy I'd like to bring up drove every imaginable kind of car. He was the designated driver in fuel racing for a lot of years in this area. And I'm talking about Gary Reed. Gary was an original member of the Ground Shakers, and I don't think there's a day in his life he weighed over 115 pounds. So that was a, a real honor for Gary to, to be a Ground Shaker, but he drove so many cars up until recently. I'm talking fuel lollards, top fuel, funny cars. If it went down the racetrack on Nitro, Gary Reed was the guy. So Gary, come on up. I'd like to hand you the plaque for uh, being one of the original guys from San Gabriel. Ground Shaker, Gary Reed. How much you weigh today, Gary? Uh, a little over 100 pounds, about 107, 109. <laughs> uh, anyway, he was a, he had been a great jockey, but he took up drag racing instead. Gary, thank you. What's your greatest memory of the, either San Gabriel or Irwindale? Well, I remember Chris Caramacini driving around the lights in the dirt and coming back on the track. And then the uh, Michigan Madman got out there and he flopped it and he tried to run at 150 miles an hour and that didn't work out too good. So. Yeah, the Michigan Madman was a Chevrolet powered motorcycle and Chris Caramacini's daughter is here today. I'm not sure that Paul is around here right now, but I saw that same run. Chris, there was no guardrails then, you have to remember that. So it was no big deal to get off the racetrack and dirt track it, rooster tail, drive back on the track and make your run. And Caramacini was great at that. But Gary, thank you so much for being here and all the years with the Over the Hill Gang and the many, many cars you ran. Anyway, thank you, Gary. Gary Reed, everyone. The next guy up, 
did a lot of serious drag racing and a lot of boat racing and built some of the best drag racing engines that were ever made. I'm talking about Bubby Wilton, Leon Bubby Wilton. Come on up. <laughs> Bubby also, one of the things he probably got the most uh, recognition for, and I'm not sure what he feels about the car, but he and Kenny Ellis campaigned a three-wheel dragster for a few years and with some success. Uh, you want to talk that, about that car, Bubby? Well, when uh, Ken, I went into it with Kenny, Kenny uh, had kind of a Mickey Mouse looking thing. And I said, no, I won't be your partner unless I have a nice car built. So I went to Scotty Finn and they built a car for us and we campaigned it. And I actually drove the car myself. You drove the car yourself. It was really a unique car. It was a three-wheel car. Chevrolet powered, blown nitro. It ran right at San Gabriel, the very same track we're talking about here. And Bubby went on and campaigned uh, a few more uh, Chevy powered top fuel cars. The Wilton and Doss car with Bob Brooks did very, very well. Did a lot of racing at Irwindale, but uh, he also did a lot of boat racing, right, Bubby? Yes, I did. Do. I went, uh, started out in uh, the, the hydros. Because I, I had the record world record holding K-boat, and then we went from there. Everybody wanted one of my motors to put in a Grand Prix Hydro, and so I built them motors, and and we went to, uh, uh, what was it, uh, in, in uh, on the Ojai River, and uh, there were 16 boats. And I told this guy, I said, hey, you know, I think I might win this today, you know. And he says, uh, you think so? I said, yeah, in fact, I'll bet you $100 I win it. And he came back and he says, you're crooked. He said, you got 15 motors in this race. <laughs> That's pretty good odds if you got only one boat that doesn't have your engine in it. But uh, anyway, Bobby, you contributed a great deal to the motorsports, to drag racing, to boat racing, all forms of racing, and hot rods. He's had a series of street rods. They're absolutely excellent. And his daughter and his son-in-law, Dion, they got their cackle car out here. They'll be part of the show tonight. So, Bubby, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Okay, we're working our way down. Thank you, Bubby. Okay, uh, Carl, come on up. This is probably one of the winnesting drivers in drag racing that you probably know nothing about, unless you're a real fan of the sport. This is Carl Swift. Bracket racing was a big part of the local scene in that era, and Carl had a 1951 Ford with a flathead engine, that won probably more racing than anybody else I can think of as far as event to event to event. They had a thing they called King of the Hill. How many times did you win that thing, Carl? Not enough. <laughs> a few. He won it a lot. The interesting thing about Carl also, it was a stick shift, flathead, 1951 Ford. Carl lost a leg when he was a young man, and so he's driving this thing with a prosthetic leg. That's a pretty big challenge just to do that, much less win as much as he did. Carl, what, what was your biggest moment that you can remember? 
well, I started right across the freeway there at uh, San Gabriel in 1962. And I raced for nine months and never won anything, so I decided either I just wasn't ever going to be up to the task because of my leg, or, oops, uh, or everybody was cheating. So I, I came with $35, and uh, if that car that uh, I protested had been legal, that would have been it. I would have never raced again. But he was cheating. He had the late, a different engine in the car. So after that, I never lost a trophy. And uh, then when Money Bracket started, I, I was the very first car to cross the finish line in the very first bracket race on a tree, and that was at Irvindale. And I did a lot of winning and uh, took home some money. And <laughs> it was great. And uh, I just, I really want to thank you for something here special because Tuesday will be my 85th birthday. And I, I thank you for bringing all these people out here to help me celebrate. <laughs> Happy birthday, Carl. Carl Swift, everyone. A big-time, dedicated drag racer. Again, the number of races he won is hard to count, but if you get the old drag news out and read it, I mean, it was plenty. Carl, you did great. Thank you so much. All right. Carl Swift, thank you, folks. We're working our way down here. The next fellow I'd like to bring up here, also, like Gary Reed, we have another Gary. Gary Southern. And Gary... He may have driven more cars than Gary Reed, which is a hell of an accomplishment. So come on up, Gary. Gary Southern. We go back to the days of Baldwin Park High. I mean, a long time uh, back to the original San Gabriel track. Um, a lot of just personal history here. That's it's great. But uh, the first car that I think Gary drove was the Tyson's Flathead Dragster, wasn't it? Uh, I'll, uh, what car was that, Gary? It was a flathead dragster, blown flathead on gasoline, and we still hold a record today. How about that? Still holds a record today from the early 1960s. One of the most memorable cars I saw Gary drive when the funny car cruise hit was the Stinger funny car. I don't know how many people remember that car, but it was a pretty unique car. Sometimes set the tires on far, but uh, how about that car, Gary? Way, way ahead of its time. The funny cars are running 100. Uh, 170, 100, we were running 200. Pretty good back in that era. Gary also did some campaigning on the big uh, race circuit with NHRA, including winning a national event. Uh, what events did you win, Gary, at the NHRA national circuit? We won the U.S. Nationals, the Maha National, and the Sports Nationals. Back to back. Back to back. That's a, you're getting a good company. There's a lot of guys that have raced their entire life and never took home a Wally. Gary's got three of them on his mantle. So, uh, what's your other memory of San Gabriel and Irvingdale? Two division races, too. Yeah, division champions, but uh, this man has been down a quarter mile more than most, and uh, much of it right across the street there. So, Gary, thank you so much for being here. San Gabriel, we were racing on a flathead, and a guy named Pat Akins had a top fuel car, and they didn't have a driver, so I went over there and begged him to drive that car. It was the first top fuel I ever drove. And from then on, it was helmet will travel. Well, he's another designated driver, but here it is for Gary Southern. Again, the Greater San Gabriel Valley Drag Racing Recognition Award. Gary just said to me he's driven 77 different cars. That's, uh, I'm not sure if that speaks much for their longevity or not, but uh, 77 different cars Gary Southern drove in his career. 
Big time. Oh. Gary's got one more quick story. What's that? No, you tell it. About the go-kart? Okay, I, this is a quick story. We'll get on. We'll get Mr. Smith up here. I was managing Irwindale Raceway back in the middle 60s, and Gary come by one day, and he said, Hey, I got a, I got a go-kart that a guy gave me for a job I did cutting trees. He said, You can have it. And I was busy that day, and I said, Well, I can't go out right now. You go out and get it warmed up. I'll be out a little later and drive it. I'm, I'm in my office and I hear this out in the, in the parking lot at Irwindale and it's Gary out there on the go-kart getting it warmed up and I kept hearing it and I'll just, you just stop, there's just no more noise. This don't sound good and about five minutes later he's standing at the door, I mean road rash all over him, his shirt damn near tore off, holes in his pants. The steering wheel was not connected and it came off in his hands, right? And that, that, that could have been me. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> Gary Southern, thank you, guys. All right, our final award. And again, this is a guy that goes back to the very, very earliest San Gabriel racing. A good chance that this guy won top eliminator at the very first drag race I went to at the original San Gabriel track. And in those days, the fuel motorcycles were every bit as competitive as top fuel dragsters. And the guy that led the pace on that whole deal was Joe Smith. Come on out, Joe. Joe Smith, uh, San Gabriel Valley guy. Joe went on to campaign fuel-burning Harleys. He moved up to a twin-engine Harley, broke all sorts of records, won the Indy U.S. Nationals. How many times did you win that, Joe? What, the Nationals? Three times. Three times the U.S. Nationals for fuel motorcycle. My single in 71, I went 74 and 75 with my double. You know, twin-engine fuel Harley. Joe, what's your good memories of San Gabriel? Oh, wow. Which one? The first one. Uh, 105. <laughs> yeah, and I got up to 118 before I quit running at that strip there. Did you ever fall off that thing? Uh, five times. <laughs> five times Joe fell off and he got right back up and kept on doing it. That says a lot for this guy's intestinal fortitude. It was a great career Joe had. He raced for a lot of years. He broke a lot of ground for the fuel Harley categories that's racing today. And if you're on Facebook, every time the fuel Harleys run, Joe Smith's following them, keeping us up to date on the Harley racing. But uh, what about the San Gabriel too, Joe? Do you remember anything about that track? Which one? The, uh, the second one? The second one. Well, I went from the, the first San Gabriel, the next time I raced in it was the Irwindale. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, I raced there a lot of time. You know, there you could run Wednesday night and Saturday night and Sunday. And I made a lot of runs there. I never made less than five runs at any time I was there, and as many as seven or eight. So I made a lot of runs in the San Gabriel area in the Irwindale Raceway. And the best thing I can remember about racing was I received a letter from a fellow named Wally Parks and Steve Gibbs. And they invited me to make the exhibition runs at all the national events for the NHRA. I did that for four years. That's right. Uh, Wally and I, uh, we got together one day and decided it would be nice to, to have Joe go around the country and make those exhibitions promoting fuel bike racing. So this man has a huge amount of history. Yeah, just a living legend. Joe, thank you for being here so much today. Thank you for inviting me to this event. I had a lot of fun.
That's it, folks. Let's give it a big round of applause for our seven legendary guys from San Gabriel and Irwindale. They made history right here. Bob, thank you so much for this time. Thank you. Thank you. Now, don't leave, because without this guy, you would have never met those guys. Steve Gibbs puts this event on. It's his brainchild. He's the one that's brought everyone back together again and honors the guys that made the history you get to watch all the time. Steve Gibbs, ladies and gentlemen. I've been lucky. I've had the pleasure to work for Steve for over 20 years, and he puts on some amazing events. This is just an example, and like he said, it's going to be on the calendar for next year. You think this year was good? Wait till next year. It'll be bigger and better than ever before. Thank you very much, Steve Gibbs and his family, putting this That's event That's our pal on. Bob Beck from Great American Auto Scene and the voice of Irwindale Raceway and Speedway, along with Steve Gibbs. Hey, thanks for listening, and please share our show on social media. Subscribe, it's absolutely free, and leave a comment. And if you're on iTunes, rate us and review us. Thanks in advance for helping our podcast grow. Our website is TalkingAboutCars.net. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Remember, listen, like, share, or retweet and subscribe. It's absolutely free. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.